0: The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry, by Print21, the people who know print. G'day and welcome to the latest episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print, the podcast for the print industry from The Print Files, where we dig deep into the big issues impacting the industry each month. I'm Wayne Robinson, Editor of the Print21 Media Hub.
1: And I'm Lindy Hewson, Publisher of Print21 and of PKN Packaging News. And welcome from me to the latest episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print. Wayne, we have, as ever, got a lot to discuss this month. So let's start with Opal, which, as we know, has had to close its white paper manufacturing at the Maryvale Mill at the start of the year. And this meant the end of commercial and copier paper manufacturing in Australia, and the ramifications are still ongoing.
0: Uh, yeah, there's several things going on there, Lindy. Uh, Opal closed its Maryvale, uh, one of its paper manufacturing lines, its white paper manufacturing line, uh, back in January. It's now just closed a second line. Uh, this was the smallest one of the four remaining ones. Uh, and it, did, uh, it was producing some white paper, uh, which obviously had stopped, and some packaging grades uh, those packaging grades will now go over to the other three lines that remain at uh, Maryvale. So two of the five lines have gone as a result of that decision by the judge to effectively stop logging, uh, for, for Vic Forest to stop its logging activities, which stopped supply to the mill, which stopped white paper. Those 200,000 tonnes that what, uh, Maryvale was producing... On the two lines that are now closed, that's all now coming in from overseas, of course. Uh, Opal will continue to manufacture brown paper, uh, brown packaging grades on its M1, M3, and M4 machines. Um, The M2 machine that will close at the end of August, or scheduled to close at the end of August, and unfortunately, of course, it will also mean some redundancies for some of the staff there, Um, because copy a paper it was produced by, by Maryvale, completely dominated the market here. It's 98% of the market, with, of which 80% was Reflex Reflex brand, 18% other brands that were made there. Um, it meant that, of course, Australian had to then look overseas for supply of copier of paper and for the white paper that it was producing. That co- all overseas copier paper had a tariff on it, which made it 50% more expensive than Reflex, which is why it dominated the market. That tariff was brought in because... Uh, Maryvale Opal uh, managed to persuade the A that uh, overseas paper was being dumped here, copy paper tariff went on. That has now gone. The PVCA and APIA, the Australian Paper Industry Association, uh, uh, lobbied government and managed to get them to get rid of that tariff in light of the fact that there is no, now no local competition. So that was a win for PVCA, a win for APIA, and a win for the industry really. The other uh, big event going on at, at uh, Maryvale right now is the Energy for Waste scheme. Uh, this is where uh, energy will uh, be created by waste products that are typically unable to be recycled. And, uh, Lindy, I don't know if you know much about the process of that, how it works, how, of how all that works.
1: You but, can uh, tell Mary me, Bell's
0: Wayne. <laughs> Maryvale's just got a 48, uh, another grant, 48 million dollars in this case. Uh, to uh, to enable that whole process to go ahead. And they reckon that it will eventually uh, be worth $600 million in, in uh, local input into the local economy there. So uh, that's a, uh, a great story. So basically, at it's all happening. In a word, end of white paper manufacturing, closure of lines, but uh, energy for waste now.
1: Well, um, we did also report on that energy for waste, and that is a, that's a good use of, of waste that we can't do anything else with. Wayne. So, um, and yes, as you said, at least the packaging uh, lines are still operational. That has been transferred. Pity about the papers, um, uh, but what can you do? Um, So, Opel, however, is now planning for its Heidelberg West site in Melbourne to close next September. So, as far as I understood it, when we reported in PKN and in Print 21, the lease is up And it really wasn't viable for them to uh, look at buying another facility in that area. So they will be transferring all that equipment uh, to existing sites. And um, you and I spoke about this and you mentioned to me this move has got local trade suppliers crying into their beer, as you put it. Um, As this site, Heidelberg site, was a major purchaser of trade services. Is that move related to anything going on at Maryvale when?
0: No, it's not. It's a completely separate part of the business. Opal Cartons Australia, it converts and prints folded cartons, carton sleeves, quick serve restaurant cartons, carry packs, facial tissue, confectionery cartons, that kind of product uh, comes out of there. It was uh, a major buyer of trade services in the Melbourne industry and uh, a lot of the trade suppliers there will feel that. Uh, because it was a, a very large plant. Opal sold the sold the um, site about 12 years ago and then leased it back. Now the owner wants to redevelop it, because obviously uh, residential property is, is big news in all the big cities in Australia. Um, opal hasn't been able to find a suitable site as you say so now that work will continue it will just be split they'll send it to south australia to adelaide and to sydney so while the work will continue and presumably trade suppliers trade services in adelaide and in sydney will be beneficiaries now uh, the many of the print service providers trade service providers in melbourne that have done a lot of work with opal uh, will obviously and unfortunately feel the pinch there
1: Okay, so then let's move on to some other stories, because Print21 has been reporting on some major overseas success strategies for local print firms. So if we look a little closer at that, Australia and New Zealand are relatively small markets in global terms, certainly compared with Europe, the US, the Far East. Um, They all have populations in the hundreds of millions. Now, expanding into those markets is not something that many Australia and New Zealand print businesses have ever done. But for two companies that have been in the news this month, it has proved a winning strategy. Tell us more.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Lindy. Those huge overseas markets, it's a long way from Australia. Has always been part of the problem. Um, Easy Signs and QLM label makers are two different businesses, but two businesses that are making a really great success of working in overseas markets. Uh, We'll take Easy Signs first. Terrific story. A 17-year-old business. It was it was a very small sign writing sign business that happened to be next door to two guys that ran a different business uh, Andy Fry and Andy Farnham and uh, Adam Farnham and they um, bought the sign business and over the last 17 years have built it up into a terrific strong big business down there in southwest southwest um, Sydney and three years ago they started selling into the US uh, online on, in an online way uh, they didn't have a plant there as soon as COVID finished, they, they took a flight over to the East Coast and found a site and set up a business there, Easy Science USA, uh, right in um, on that East Coast, in that huge area where there's uh, you know, 100 million people live within a few hours. Uh, and it's basically gone from strength to strength since they've, they've set it up. Um, it's an 8,700 square metre facility, or sorry, 6,700 square metre facility, and um, Andy Fryer said, "It's only nine, 19 months ago that the borders opened here, and we were able to finally have to travel abroad." Adam Parnell and I they booked a flight immediately to New York. They found the site, they set it up. It opened a year ago, uh, and he said it's been uh, kicking goals ever since and going from strength to strength. And you would think, well, there are plenty of sign and display print businesses in the USA and in that whole combination, uh, but they obviously have you know believe in their own business, believe in what they've got to offer, and and are getting a great response. And similarly, uh, QLM Label Makers, a completely different business, obviously, in the label world, um, business founded 50 years ago in a Brisbane House, is now um, operating in, uh, as well as in Australia through in uh, Brisbane, in Melbourne, through acquisitions and in Sydney now, of course, because it owns Luminar. Uh, in, uh, it's now operating in Bangladesh, uh, Malaysia, uh, um, and as well as uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Uh, and it's just a point. it's in the news because it's just appointed uh, Tom Sullivan as its CEO. Simon Pugh, uh, from the family that owns the business, uh, he, he's the, the uh, managing director. He was also the CEO, but he's now going to take a more strategic role uh, and leave the day-to-day running of the business with Tom Sullivan, who's an industry veteran spent many years working with Debtpack, uh, both here and, and across Asia for their business there. Um, so both terrific, uh, QLM, label makers and Easy Signs both terrific examples of print businesses, Australian print businesses that have succeeded overseas because as Easy Signs, as there's presumably plenty of sign businesses in the USA, there's plenty of label printing businesses in Bangladesh, Cambodia, Vietnam, and, and uh, Malaysia. But QLM, I've obviously gone in with their proposition and are making it work. So those two stories should be a real encouragement for any other print businesses of any types looking to go overseas. I know Easy Signs got a lot of help from the uh, development organisation or the business development organisation in the area where they are in terms of grants and support, all that kind of thing is available. Um, Australian business obviously has a uh, a valid proposition for overseas markets and it'd be great to see more people getting in there.
1: Yes, those are two very encouraging stories, Um, good news, uh, feel-good stories. Good to see that overseas expansion and, um, as you said, they're inspirational, really, for other print businesses as well. Well done to both companies and their leaders for having the vision and the courage just to get up and go. Still on labels, I see that Gallus is celebrating its centenary this month.
0: Yeah, 100 years in business. I mean, that's a a great achievement in any business, let alone the printing industry. Um, So they celebrated 100 years. Uh, They celebrated by opening a new experience centre – Um, by launching a converting arm on its new Gallus One digital press. Uh, They invited uh, people from around the world to come over to uh, to their new facility over there. Gallus now, of course, is part of Heidelberg, um, although they did try and sell it off about 18 months ago unsuccessfully, um, as it turned out. Um, But it's obviously been a keystone of the label printing industry over, over, well, over 100 years, that's for sure. So yeah, congratulations to everyone at uh, Gallus, and good to see that it is uh, not just uh, looking to the past, although it was celebrating 100 years, but very much looking to the future. And uh, if you read the Print21 story about that uh, celebration, it's all about digitalization, integration, automation, uh, cloud-based technology, uh, portals, to give you real benefits and efficiencies. So it's uh, these older companies, they can uh, they don't have to be stuck in the past. And Gallus is a great example of that. It's got a fantastic heritage and uh, is now looking forward to embracing, and embracing new technology to make sure it's offering a good service to print businesses for the next 100 years.
1: Well, as you mentioned there, Wayne, Gallus is now owned by Heidelberg. Um, and this, the world's largest press manufacturer, also has recently come out about a new strategy to take it forward after some rather turbulent years. You've written an in-depth report on that. So can you give us the top-line um, concepts from it?
0: Yeah, top-line concepts. Are Heidelberg now has a a, dual, a new dual strategy uh, to build on its uh, sheet-fed offset division, which, of course, is, remains the world's biggest sheet-fed offset manufacturer. B1 and B2 presses um, having pulled out of the very large ones and been shunted out of the small ones through digital print systems, um, but it is now going to uh, f- have a real big focus on packaging and on digital uh, packaging, which includes labels, uh, which includes Galus business is now fifty percent of the Heidelberg business. Half of Heidelberg business now comes from packaging, and that's only through really having a re- having a focus on it in quite recent year recent years. Digital Heidelberg. Well, it's been in and out of digital. They had the Prime Fire, uh, which it uh, B1 Digital Press, which it launched, brought to market uh, probably 2016. Now had a couple of installs, then pulled out. Uh, it has a partnership with Rico, of course, uh, but it's. It's uh, Digital will be a focus going forward, packaging and digital on the press side. And then the other part of its strategy, the second part of its dual-track st- strategy, is to unlock new, unrelated markets. It's already had great success in this with its mobile electric wall-charging units, which has become the, the uh, number one supplier across Europe uh, in, light, in light of uh, the absence of other renewable energy um, They are going to become big news. So, Heidelberg is now in prime position now with its wall box. And its uh, CEO there, Ed Lundgren Mons, uh, believes that Heidelberg has the brains, the technology, the manufacturing capability to launch into other new, unrelated, by unrelated, we mean non print areas. But certainly for our industry, for print, for packaging, uh, Heidelberg will continue to drive to maintain its number one position.
1: Yeah, and a strong part of that, of course, is also its sustainability focus. And sustainability, for that matter, is on top of everyone's agenda. It's all we write about: sustainability and circularity. We've already discussed the energy from waste plant developments that we saw at Opal and that we're seeing at Opal and Maryvale. Um, this month has seen more major developments in print sustainability, with leading companies including Epac, Epson, and Ball and Docket all making some major moves.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, print continues to lead the charge into sustainability. And we can say no communication channel is more environmentally friendly than print. Uh, and in fact, print 21, the next issue, July, August, that has a big sustainability section, which will make great reading. Lindy, you were at the launch of Ball & Doggett's new Ecoporium initiative. Uh, perhaps you could share what that was all about.
1: Yeah, Wayne, that was actually a very exciting project. It is an exciting project. It's something um, that we haven't seen of this nature from a supplier before, a supplier taking the lead in sustainability um, education, information. What they've done is they've created a resource that their clients and that the people who are allied to their clients so um, c- can consult. It's a resource all about sustainability, sustainable materials, including conversations via a special podcast channel. Uh, That they've created. This is all the brainchild of Zadie Jackson and her team. Um, So they've got interviews with leading lights of the industry. They've got information about their own sustainability materials, because that's after all, remember why they're doing it (laughs) Um, the imperative to sell materials, but also to allow their clients and their customers to make informed choices about those materials. So it's a place where designers can go, where printing industry can go, where packaging converters can go, where brand owners can go as well to find out more about um, what what is the current thinking on sustainability, um, what is the information that they need to know, but also importantly, what materials are available.
0: Well, it's great to hear. I mean, Bull & Dogger is the country's largest supplier of printable materials. Uh, and as you say, it's great to see them leading and taking the initiative.
1: Yes, and it is good to see that it is not alone because there are many print industry businesses taking strides to lower their carbon footprint, including two of the bigger names, as as I mentioned earlier, EPAC and Epson.
0: Yeah, they have both this month, uh, Lindy. Obviously, these companies have been on a sustainable journey for a long time, as many businesses and suppliers to the industry have been. Uh, Epsom, Australia and New Zealand, is now 100% renewable electricity. I use all its Australia and New Zealand offices and sites, which is a fantastic result. Uh, It's all now certified under the Australian Green Power and the New Zealand Energy Certificate System. Um, And it's the Australia and New Zealand uh, reaching that 100% goal. Uh, That's ahead of the rest of the world. And ahead of its own target, it was supposed to take... They they had targeted for the end of the year. Um, They've got there halfway through this year. So great to see there's a real focus and a commitment there from Craig Eckenberg and the rest of the team there to really uh, show that you can run a great business from sustainable, renewable energy. Um, That's one example, EPAC, which is the um, the, uh, digital uh, flexible packaging company uh, launched seven years ago, 2016, came here and uh, hasn't even been in Australia for 18 months now. Uh, they've launched their EPAC Born Green here, educational pre- campaign here. And that's uh, a campaign and that's to, sh- to highlight its own environmental benefits and to show its customers how uh, they can engage with e- EPAC and how they can derive their own environmental benefits from working with them. And it breaks down complex topics uh, latest developments, in sustainable packaging again, changes in regulation in Australia. They're easy to follow videos and information packs because, the, as the whole market, as the whole corporate world, as the marketing world gets to grips with sustainability, and needs to needs to get on board and present its own uh, present its own journey, present its own credentials. In that, it's great to see EPAC here, a print business. Showing and educating the market, educating their customers this is what we're doing, this is what you can be doing, this is how you can grow on your own environmental journey. So, EPAC, Epsom, um, Ball and Doggett, uh, it's really good to see these big companies, big leading companies taking the sustainability, tangible, real sustainable steps.
1: Absolutely. So, let's take a turn now to the world of wide format. This month, Global Wide Format Trade Association, FESPA, released the results of its census, this first um, census since the outbreak of COVID. And one of the more interesting revelations was that the number of startup and small operators is surging. Now, almost two out of five sign and display printers have less than five staff. That's interesting statistic there. Wayne, why is that?
0: Yeah, well, it, what it basically says is uh, entrepreneurs are seeing opportunity in sign-and-display print because typically companies with less than five staff are new entrants. Uh, the the uh, sign-and-display world has relatively low costs of entry. I mean, you can buy a, a, a decent uh, printer for less than 20 grand, uh, including a, a pre-press rip, and, you, and you're up and running, essentially. So it, it uh, says that there is opportunity there, and that people are taking that opportunity. Uh, The companies with less than five employees rose from 28% to 37% uh, over the past five years since the last survey. And uh, we see that. I mean, everyone who's in the print industry sees uh, print, obviously, sadly, in some ways, as they go out and about. And um, we see print here, there and everywhere. And obviously, that's being produced. And uh, sign and display print is probably the fastest growing area has been the fastest growing area of print over recent years. And this uh, census from FESPA kind of bears that out. That's why uh, the small companies are starting, because there is room for entrepreneurs. And that's one of the great things about the print industry. There is always room for new startups uh, because it's fragmented, because there's opportunity, because everyone needs it. Even though in some sectors, the amount of print is diminishing, uh, not certainly not in, uh, in display print.
1: Well, still on the spray print, um, there has been a major development here in Australia. David Walton has bought major print businesses, OmniGraphics and MMTB, from outdoor asset manager QMS. Now, as digital media continues to grow in the outdoor world, uh, QMS wanted to focus on that part of its business. So why did Walton want to buy the print companies?
0: Yeah, well, um, this is the opposite end of the scale from startups. OmniGraphics and MMTB are major uh, display, print, uh, wide, wide format print businesses, uh, one in Melbourne, uh, one in Brisbane. In answer to your question, Lindy, uh, QMS, yeah, they want to focus on digital outdoor. Digital, digital outdoor is now two-thirds of all spend, all outdoor media spend is now on digital, one-third on print. Uh, and that's a role reversal from five, well, from seven or eight years ago uh, when uh, print had the majority. Print is also called classic or static in this field. Um, QMS wants to focus on that what it perceives as its growth area Uh, David Walton I've been in the business for a long time uh, he said he told me there's real opportunity to move forward not just he's not just now looking at outdoor media the stuff we see on the sides of uh, buildings and buses and uh, billboards, that kind of thing. But he's also looking to take the business into retail display, into point of sale, into vehicle wrapping. And he told me the future's bright and uh, it's it's obviously a major investment. There's 70 or 80 staff there. He's uh, rationalising a little bit in terms of management. They'll Management will now, will now be responsible for one set of management for both sites. Um, but the staff, the brand, the equipment will remain the same. He will be looking to invest. Uh, and great to see uh, people investing in print. And even though print share, coming back to outdoor media, print share of outdoor media is diminishing. The actual amount of cash, the volume of cash spent on outdoor media is actually increasing year on year, uh, since it's bounced right back since COVID, and now it it continues to increase. So, great to see David do that, congratulations to him, and uh, good to see that his uh, vision and uh, courage and commitment in buying those businesses. The digital world that QMS is focused on and that's not without its critics actually I think we've mentioned this once before anyone walking around Sydney now the centre of Sydney will have to has to avoid giant digital display signs placed smack bang in the middle of pavements been a huge furore about this that they happen to be QMS signs and uh, the city council hasn't stopped any more going in even though it's a 10-year contract with a certain amount to to be allowed. That's a side issue. The main deal for the industry is David Walton has bought these businesses, and uh, good luck to him.
1: Well, campaigns that we are sure to see on the outdoor media before long, of course, Wayne, will be for the yes and no sides of the voice referendum. The voting public will also be receiving a referendum pamphlet outlining the question how to vote, and containing the arguments for both sides. Now, Ive is printing the pamphlet, which will be the biggest print job of the year. But the pamphlet almost didn't happen, did it?
0: That's right. Biggest print job of the year. Twelve and a half million copies of this pamphlet will be going out. Uh, Ive has won the job, which they're probably the only people that were capable of doing it. They're on a very tight time frame because when Anthony Albanese announces that, Um, date of the referendum, which uh, by all accounts will be towards the beginning of August. Uh, The the referendum date might be any time from October onwards, which gives an IVE. And all those pamphlets have to be in situ, in other words, delivered to every house in the country, no matter how remote, uh, two weeks before referendum date. So IVE will be on a very tight timeframe to produce those 12.5 million pamphlets. Initially, you're right, Lindy, the government didn't want the pamphlets. Uh, They cited cost. Skeptics and cynics said there were other reasons, uh, but uh, the PVCA, uh, along with other parties, both from the yes and the no camps, actually, uh, were outraged that there's no pamphlet. There's been one every referendum since Federation, it's actually a legal requirement. The government said, Well, we'll put it online, it's still actually a pamphlet. Uh, it didn't wash, and eventually the pressure got to bear on Antony Albanese, and he agreed uh, to. Produce a pamphlet. It's a great job for Australian print. Obviously, two and a half million copies. Uh, last one has 72 pages. Uh, this one probably won't go to that length, but it's still a very significant print job. what well, certainly the biggest of the year, possibly one of the biggest of all time. And uh, great to see. Obviously, Kelly Northwood made made the uh, rationalisation that print reaches everybody digital communication doesn't reach everybody and particularly more vulnerable groups and particularly ironically indigenous australians who not all of them are digitally connected Uh, but uh, now they're going to get the pamphlet so great news
1: well, well done to Kelly, the CEO of PBCA, um, and um, the rest of her team for their actions there on the pamphlet. It certainly shows the benefits to industry of having a focused trade association. We're still calling them the PBCA, Wayne. They have, um, they are about to undergo a name change. At the
0: moment, at the moment we are, but they are, they will become Visual Media Association, uh, but under the uh, regulations that the uh, Fair Work Commission has to allow 40 days from when the decision was made by PVCA to change its name, and that time will come around the middle of July, so shortly after this podcast goes out. And while we're on the subject of congratulations to PVCA, congratulations to Rodney Frost, the PVCA treasurer and CEO of Lamson Paragon, and Team Print for taking part in this year's CEO Sleepout, Uh, a sleepout that uh, aims to raise money and awareness for the plight of those unfortunately sleeping rough. Uh, They raised $46,000 for the St. Vincent Society this year, so fantastic effort, June the twenty-second, the longest night of the year, one of the coldest nights of the year, so great to see.
1: Well, yes, on that warm and fuzzy note, (laughs) um, well done to everyone involved in that. We'll wrap up this episode now of It's Been a Big Month in Print. And, yeah, once again, lots of good stories, lots of top content. Uh, thanks to the team at Print21 for gathering and collating all those stories all this time, especially you, Wayne Robinson. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We do value your feedback, as always. And so that's it from me, Lindy Houston, saying goodbye.
0: And it's goodbye from this episode of The Print Pass from me, Wayne Robinson. We look forward to you joining us again next time for It's Been a Big Month in Print. The Print Files podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Print 21, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print 21, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact Print 21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to The Print Files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've
1: been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.